1: Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. My name is Mike here with Sam as always. Sam, how are you doing?
2: I am great. Hello, Mike. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode from the official podcast of the Bahamian National Basketball Team. <laughs> We've got fun stuff to talk about here. It's late August, but yeah, things are, things are ramping guest. up. Things are ramping up. And a great guest uh, who everyone can probably see in the episode description, so I'm not going to get too much into that right now. But Uh, Yes, we we did talk to Tom Leander. You'll hear that interview later on in the episode. He was great, as always. Uh, In the meantime, some news dropped in the past
1: week. What do you want to start with? Schedule? I think we should start with the basketball. The actual basketball. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I mean, we got to, you and I, it's not easy to watch these games that are just for this tournament. But you and I got to watch the majority of the last game and uh it was so fun (laughs) to watch basketball again but also just to sort of know and realize that Eric Gordon is on the Suns that that was kind of sort of the revelation of watching that game to me and just sort of it sort of hitting me all of what that means for the Suns in this upcoming season because for those who missed it the Bahamian team had to win I think it was four straight games right total in order to win this tournament and uh and they did, and it was an Olympic qualifying tournament. It doesn't mean that they're going to be in the Olympics just yet. It's actually but
2: they, it's the pre qualifying tournament. Yeah. So there's a if pre- they lost, qualifying tournament. they would have been
1: out of the Olympics. Right. That's that's and the important part.
2: It's step one on their path to competing for the Olympics, Paris 2024 next year. There will now be a qualifying tournament. Uh, in early July, just a few weeks uh, of of 2024, that is, just a few weeks before the Olympics that they have locked in their spot for. um, Perhaps uh, the the historically interesting part here, not only that this was a huge win for the Bahamian program, um, who historically, you know, going into this tournament, they were ranked number 56 in the world. I think it's obvious that their talent, when DeAndre Ayton, Buddy Heald, and Eric Gordon all play for them, is much higher (laughs) than number 56 in the world. Um, yeah. but also historically relevant because they beat Argentina twice in a single week. Argentina was the host country for this pre-qualifying tournament uh, in for the the um, Americas version of the tournament because there's a tournament that goes on in the Americas. There's a tournament that goes on in Africa, Europe, Asia, etc. But Argentina was the host country for their leg of the tournament. and the Bahamas beat them twice. Argentina's ranked fourth in the world. yeah. and and, and the Argentina- Bahamas
1: are a tiny country
2: tiny country how how tiny in fact population four hundred thousand, less than the size not just of phoenix less than the size of tucson yeah and a country the size of the bahamas less than the size of tucson knocked out argentina officially so argentina they already were not going to be in the fiba world cup next week and now because they lost this pre-qualifying tournament they are officially knocked out of olympic contention for 2024 so they will not be there uh, kind of crazy by the way huge run yeah. for them already like it's it's going to take a lot more just for the bahamas to be able to qualify um their their path is going to get even harder uh with this qualifying tournament that they're going to be in next july but already a massive run and if like by some incredible odds they managed to make it it would just be a a, a huge story for that country
1: The Suns have two, uh, there's not a lot of NBA players playing right now outside of the actual World Cup, but the Suns have two players on this Bahamian team, uh, which of course made a lot of Suns fans have some level of vested interest in them winning, and we got to see that happen for those watching, and if, if you missed it, I mean the story of the final game was Eric Gordon, who completely took over at the end of the game when both DeAndre and and Buddy Heald, who were the other two NBA players, were struggling offensively. And Eric Gordon was not. Went six for seven from three, including three threes in the last two and a half minutes of the game, to really, completely slam the door on Argentina. By the way, they were trailing in that game, the Bahamas, until Eric Gordon put the team on his back to win it. 35-year-old Eric Gordon, who basically played point guard on that team because of their inability to to pass outside of him yeah but really was their main scorer that was his main main role on that team and he, and he was incredible in that game and to be honest was faced with an
2: Argentinian program on the other side that had just a lot more depth than the team from the Bahamas and uh you know also had Facundo Campazzo as a former NBA player as their point guard and what that meant was on the other side was this Argentinian team with a lot of ball movement and a lot of kind of beautiful game style basketball. At least that was what they were trying to replicate. And here is the Bahamas. And I don't know, they didn't really <laughs> you know, there was a there was a massive assist differential in that last game, the <laughs> finals between these two teams. But yeah. the what the Bahamas had is they had hoopers. And Eric Gordon was able to put the team on his back. You mentioned those three threes in the final two minutes. One of them was like a 30-foot pull-up launch. I encourage everyone to go look up the highlights. You can find these highlights online. One was a a pull-up launch. The other two were like prime James Harden-style (laughs) step-backs. He also had a clutch steal in one of the final defensive possessions of the game. He was awesome. Uh, He completely willed them to that victory. Granted, DeAndre Ayton also played a, a big role in this one, too. Just not well, yeah, yeah. not as a, a, a scorer. He only had 10 points. He kind of struggled with his jump shot, but also played a very big role in the final because he locked it down on the defensive end. He had 21 rebounds Twenty one. played a, yeah. a really important
1: physical role uh, as an enforcer, which is exactly what his team needed him to do. And I think the story of the game was Eric Gordon, the story of the tournament was really all three of those guys playing well. Eric Gordon, Buddy Heald, and DeAndre. And and it took all three of them playing well to even be in that finals. Uh, But, you know, at at a certain point of that game, you know, you kind of looked at it and said, okay, this is over. The Bahamas are done. And Eric Gordon just did not let it happen. He snatched victory from the hands of defeat. And Argentina, for the first time in a long time, won't be in the Olympics. And it was really cool to see. Now, Eric Gordon playing well, was sort of expected. He's a really good basketball player. He I think was beyond what we expect him to be on the Suns in this tournament, but if he can bring any of that to the Suns this upcoming season, he's kind of the perfect fifth man in that starting lineup especially offensively, but is a good defender too. It's just he wasn't just shooting threes, which of course he can do. He's shooting them from everywhere. And he's even attacking the basket. His handles looked good. He had an insane dunk in one of the previous games of the tournament. And he just looks like a, a great basketball player. The Suns haven't had a lot of new guys join the team in the last few offseasons. But this offseason, we have really two big shining stars. Of course, Bradley Beal being the obvious one. But Eric Gordon, a longtime NBA player, 35-year-old, with a lot of good basketball under his belt. And it's exciting to see him play but DeAndre and I think the story from DeAndre and from the tournament was I mean he's like he's really from the Bahamas like he grew up there and he got to be there when they you know won this tournament one of the biggest moments in the in basketball for the Bahamas ever probably the biggest and uh, and he gets to to see that through to the next stage of this and he played from everything I saw I didn't get to see every game unfortunately like I said it was hard to watch he played pretty well Throughout the tournament, offensive, offensively, I think it started great for him. Maybe it got a little worse as the um, the old overall tournament progressed. But from what I saw, he was really locked in on rebounds. He was locked in defensively the majority of the time, and it was interesting, you know, to see this finals game where he had how many points did he end up finishing with? I knew he had eight in the fourth quarter. I don't the know final, how much uh,
2: he, I think he only had ten. Uh, I don't have the box score in front of me. Yeah, I think it was, think it was nine or and ten. Twenty-one.
1: And, and uh, you know, you kind of think about his role for the Suns, and that kind of box score for the Suns would be huge. You know, I know 10 points, he probably wants to score more, but if he's not, being effective in other places is so massive, and I thought in that finals game for the Bahamas, he really exemplified how huge he can be even if he's not scoring, um, and we saw it in that specific game.
2: Yeah, and just the way he, he was scoring, you know, like cleaning up everything around the basket. A buddy Heald, for instance, would go hard, bring another defender with him and and kind of try and float something off the backboard. And if it didn't go in, as it mostly didn't because Heald was really struggling in the finals, <laughs> um, Aiton was right there to clean it up. And like he he just had a an interior gravity about him that was really important. And you hope to see him bring to the Suns this year. And ultimately, I think he will, you know. Regardless of what happens next with the Bahamas, because some people are probably thinking to themselves, okay, what what does this have to do with the Suns? First of all, we're rooting for the Bahamas. They go into this tournament next year where 24 countries now are going to enter the next stage of the qualifying tournament for the Olympics. Only four countries are going to come out for the final four spots. So those odds are what they are. But the relevance that it has for the Suns, even going into this season, is you have these two new teammates, DeAndre Ayton and Eric Gordon, who just developed some chemistry. Now they know each other going into the season. They have good things to say about each other from everything I've seen in their media scrums. And they also look both legitimately conditioned. I can't stress enough how important I think it is to be playing at this time of year, actual real competitive basketball regardless, honestly, of what country you're playing, like the the level of talent and all that, I think it's so much more valuable to be playing these types of games where it's hyper-competitive basketball versus just being back in the U.S., like, you know, getting your practice runs in, even if those are with other NBA players. Like, those are not... It's not the same. You have to be locked in in order to win these games. There's a lot of blood that goes on the line in these international competitions. And uh, so to see both of those guys get that conditioning in, I think they... have earned a few weeks of rest and then they should be able to go into
1: training camp in uh, in top form basically. I mean, you mentioned it. Amari Stoudemire credits their conditioning for their success when they were on the Suns. So these, these NBA players understand how important being in shape is and, and coming to the season in shape. Of course you all, they'll all be in shape by the time the playoffs come. <laughs> I mean, I hopefully uh, for most of these NBA players, but starting the season off, right. I think will be particularly important for the Suns because it's such a massive change in how they're going to play. New coach, new system, you know, new defensive system, new players. You know, The most ball-dominant player on the Suns previously is now gone in Chris Paul, so you can't rely on the Chris Paul system, which is just creating a shot on every single possession. So starting off well is going to be really important for this team. So both of them coming to the season in shape, and ready and like you said with a little bit of extra chemistry is going to be huge you know i we've talked a lot about that fifth guy who's going to be the the starter on the Suns. and look i i don't i i am sort of rooting for eric gordon for that fifth fifth spot i know i've talked about it on the podcast yeah, before. if you're trying to hide it you're not hiding it very well you, yeah you've talked about it a few no, times now. i'm rooting for it i <laughs> yeah. don't i don't i wouldn't be mad if he wasn't the fifth starter Like, it's not a case where he absolutely needs to start to be effective. You know, he's not that kind of player. He's going to be great if he comes off the bench as well. But to me, watching these Bahamas games where he has a higher level of responsibility, a bigger role, he's essentially the Devin Booker of that team, if you will. Um, Watching these games, it makes me realize it doesn't matter if he starts or not, he's going to play so much. And they just need him to play a lot. And, you know, at 35, it'll be interesting to see how he holds up with a lot of playing time. You know, the Suns have options, so maybe they'll lower it during the regular season. But it's just clear how big of a role he's going to have on this team and how important he's going to be. And I found myself being very excited. Optimism season, of course, is here. And I found myself being very excited about this Suns team while watching that Bahamas team. I don't know about you. Uh, very excited for the Suns team. Yeah, also just a nice warm up to be
2: honest for th- that tournament. The pre qualifying tournament is over, but a nice warm up for other international play. Like you know, I imagine we'll be talking about the FIBA World Cup now and yeah, in, in the yeah. next couple of weeks, going to be rooting only for former
1: of, Suns players though. Yeah, going <laughs> to
2: be rooting for a, a, a couple of former Suns there on Team USA and Michael Bridges and and um Cam Johnson. Uh, obviously, everyone's talking about Anthony Edwards right now. He's been in the yeah, next he was for the past couple of days because of the. Yeah. Herculean performance he put up. Ironically, I think it was against Greece, right? Um, so uh, there's that. Uh, there is one Suns player who will be participating in that tournament. That's Yuta Watanabe with Japan. So we'll be tracking him as well. But yeah, just just
1: excited for some, some serious basketball to watch. And speaking of serious basketball, since the last time we recorded on this feed, the entirety of the schedule was released. We've talked about some of it on our previous episode, but I wanted to bring it up again here. I know we talked about it on our Patreon podcast as well because we talked about that the day after it was released, um, but just just some things about this schedule that I wanted to mention. Um, real quick, one thing I did find out. There are 25 games on ESPN, TNT, and ABC this upcoming season 11 on ESPN 10, on TNT 4 on ABC, plus all the NBA TV games, which don't necessarily matter in in the the grand scheme of things but i talked about it on twitter a little bit in that what what happens for some of these games espn tnt and abc is they are often blacked out on local channels when they're broadcast on national tv but not all of them that's 25 total games i did find out that There will be at least 72 games broadcast on the local channel. So we all know about the changes with the broadcast system. The Suns will be broadcast on Arizona Family, uh, Channel 3, locally, uh, for those of you who are local. 72 of those games will be broadcast by Gray TV on that channel or their new channel, which will be Arizona Family Sports. So you don't have to worry about missing any major portions of the season with 25 games on ESPN, TNT, and ABC, but 10 of them maybe blacked out locally so keep that in mind if you're planning to watch all of the games this season and i know a lot of people who listen to this podcast do watch all 82 games just keep that in mind for 10 of the games if you don't have cable if you don't have access to tnt espn or abc maybe go to a maybe go to a bar maybe go to a friend's house to watch those games if you're trying to avoid paying for cable this upcoming season go
2: go to the arena for those 10 games if you're a, a high roller yeah. <laughs> know do we know what the ticket prices are for this year yet have we uh, uh, yeah
1: they're out they're not as bad as I thought I'll be yeah, honest they, okay. they, they seem comparable to the previous few seasons
2: okay that's pretty good i will have to get out there and uh, put that to the test myself sometime pretty soon but uh yeah go go out to the arena if you can afford it for a couple games should be a fun time
1: I, I will also mention since I have this info I should put it out there um there's two channels that they're broadcasting this on arizona family and then arizona family is creating a channel called arizona family sports which some sun's game will be broadcast on that second channel as well that second channel is not launched yet it will be launched soon that means that it's not currently on any cable packages so if you have like direct tv if you have youtube tv if you have hulu live you might not see that second channel but i can tell you uh from who i spoke with the, the Arizona family is attempting to get that channel available on all platforms so anywhere that you can watch TV if you're scared that you're not gonna be able to watch it as long as they're gonna cooperate with Arizona family that should be available to you on any platform that you use to watch these games so if you're worried about that don't worry about it um, hopefully you won't have to think about it at all you'll just be able to click the Sun's games once you see it uh, on your TV but I wanted to mention that here the other thing with the schedule 14 back-to-back games this upcoming season. Any chance the Suns actually rest players now in back-to-back games? Oh, man. Now that Uh, that Chris Paul is gone? Yeah. Well, I I don't think Book is going to do it. I I doubt,
2: frankly, I don't think much is going to change with that. They can afford to. I probably would. I I ranted enough on the the extra episode last week already about how I hate the back-to-backs, and I wish you know it i would be fine with the nba reducing the schedule just a bit or extending the schedule out a few weeks whatever they got to do so that we can get rid of these back to backs because i just view them as such an inferior product compared to what we expect when you have two teams going up at even strength uh so yeah 14 that number's too high for me i don't think they're going to rest guys though we'll see yeah
1: it'll, it'll be interesting to see uh, you know kevin durant is really the prime candidate for it Right. If the Suns rest anyone just because he's played, not only is he, you know, the, I mean, is he the oldest player on the Suns? He must be close. Yeah, he is. If it's not him, it's Eric Gordon. I imagine they're pretty close in age. Uh, but not only is, is Kevin Durant the oldest player on the Suns, but he's also just played so much basketball in that he's in the playoffs every year. So if they're going to do it, they should do it. I, I mean, they, that's why you have three stars, right? You have the ability of just playing two in a game if you can. So Actually, I kind of hope they do. You're
2: making me double-check now. Eric Gordon is... Oh, no. What is it? I have to do math? Nope, KD's older. <laughs> KD, is, KD's KD, older. KD is older by about three months than Eric Gordon, so he is the oldest player on the Suns. But, yeah, KD, he's got the regular season accolades. He's got all of the playoff stuff. And then he's also got the Olympic records, too. That's a lot of mileage on his body. You, people forget KD is a three-time gold medalist for team usa already what a legend do you what think a you think he's gonna participate in 2024 i mean he's still he's still good, good enough i i have no idea what the plan is but he's good enough if he wants a spot they should give him one and i believe It'd be
1: pretty cool to have that many gold medals if they win of course he
2: is currently tied with carmelo anthony for being uh for the all-time lead being a three-time gold medalist he could get his fourth if team usa won next year and that would be the record
1: well, I can say Booker will it will participate. I think, um, and that'll be fun to watch. Maybe, maybe we'll get to see Booker on the court with Mikael Bridges once again. <laughs> um, we talked about you know the Christmas Day game. The Suns are really, or the the NBA is really pushing the rivalry with Dallas. You know, there's other things like the road trip, longest road trip for the Suns is seven games, that kind of thing. But do you have any other? Uh, thoughts on the schedule that you want to get to before we switch over to good old Tom Leander?
2: Man, not in particular. You know, we covered some of this stuff last week, too. Just it's good to see as many national TV appearances as there are. Obviously, people need to figure out their own situations with their cable packages and, and, and whatnot. But I believe Phoenix, including the NBA TV games, is situated third Uh, just behind the Lakers and Golden State which feels right to me for uh, a a market for our our ethical
1: hoops campaign that we're trying to yeah we want people to know about ethical hoops and the the NBA is doing us a favor by giving the the rest of the NBA fans 37 games to really enjoy it right
2: (laughs) well and and just to contextualize that you know we're ahead of Boston Uh, Boston I feel like is one of those teams that that first of all is really good and I expect them to be really good this year but benefits from some sort of east coast media bias sometimes and and then denver and we're ahead of denver and that One doesn't surprise me as much given where denver is in the the media rankings uh, But they just won the championship and continue to be a very formidable foe So, you know, I think I think it's kind of a big deal to see phoenix where they are and uh, we're gonna just get to Hopefully enjoy them in those national TV appearances as often as possible rather than um, Hopefully not being embarrassed in any of them.
1: I know what the NBA schedule release really does for me is just make me excited about seeing basketball and really get me ready and add the Bahamas games to that in that we actually got to watch Suns players play and they played really well and won. I know I'm really gearing up for some basketball. So that was the main thing for me, but let's switch over to our interview with the great, the legend of Suns broadcasting Tom Leander, who was awesome to join us we'll take a quick break with some ads and then you'll get to hear that and then after that we'll be back with our patreon podcast midweek thank you everyone for listening All right, joining us, one of our favorite guests here on the podcast, Tom Leander, longtime member of the Suns organization, doing the pregame, halftime show, calling games. Tom, you've done basically everything for this Suns team over the years, haven't you?
4: Well, if I'm one of your favorite guests, why has it been since 2019 <laughs> since I've been out? That's kind of my first comment. I but, feel you know,
1: bad even asking. <laughs>
4: we're trying, we're yeah, trying not to bug you, man. Uh, now you guys can always check in. Yeah, no, it's been a great career. Heck, I just uh, just hit the 30-year mark with the Suns.
1: Wow. And it That's was very so cool. cool. Our
4: new president, uh, Josh Bartlestein, sent me an email and said, hey, happy 30th. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? He's like, it was 30 years ago that day that I started with the Suns, which shows you the changes around the offices these days. Right. As I emailed Josh back and said, oh my God, first of all, I can't believe this is the anniversary. And secondly, I can't believe you sent me an email. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. Some good changes around the organization. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. And Josh is probably like six or seven years old when that, <laughs> when you started. Yeah. Right? yeah
4: I think so he's so young. I think, I think the sons have some really good human relations people, uh, you know, telling him what the dates are for all the employees. Does that
2: make your first season, correct me if I'm wrong, was it Barkley's first season, or was it the season after that? The season
4: after it. Yeah, I worked for a production company that worked for the Suns. So I did cover the 93 finals while still working for that company. And then the Suns brought it in-house that next year. And Scott Geyer, who's the uh, director of broadcasting now for the Diamondbacks, he's the one that turned my life around with the job offer of a
1: lifetime. Wow. That's awesome. you know, you mentioned Bartelstein, and you know, I was thinking about your career and and just thinking about how crazy last year must have been i guess you've you've seen now two ownership changes in your time with the suns and you survived both of them congratulations first of all on that one (laughs) Uh, and you know obviously last year you know we didn't really know what was going to happen when the season started there was a change in ownership right before the trade deadline a massive maybe one of the biggest trades the suns have ever made definitely the biggest mid-season trade the suns have ever made and then of course when the season ends there's going to be this change in broadcaster where it's going to be it must have been a pretty wild season for you to endure uh all through the season
4: yeah i mean that the kevin durant trade certainly shook everybody up and you know and happening right after the press conference uh you know with the ownership change and matt ishbia coming in and he's just you know the moment i met him he's just so full of energy and enthusiasm and expectations. I mean, for all of us, whether it be players, coaches, broadcasters, I mean, everybody's got to pick it up a notch. Uh, but it was obvious from the first minute he took over that, uh, he was going to make every move possible to finally give Phoenix a, a championship team. So, um, it's Yeah, it's been a ton of fun. I mean, we're looking forward to the new relationship with Channel 3, uh, having 3 million potential viewers instead yeah. of 800,000. And uh, yeah, it goes back to the uh, UPN 45 and KUTP days <laughs> when uh, everybody was watching and our pregame ratings used to be like 13 or 14 and it was just and the games were over 20 in terms of rating points so this is uh this is going to be really really exciting and looking forward to it and uh you know meetings with our production crew and with channel 3 and just kind of in conjunction and uh there's just a huge buzz in the offices obviously
2: that's yeah that's awesome for anyone who doesn't know and i'm sure everyone basically does know at this point but you're talking about you guys transitioning from previously a previous deal with Bally sports To I believe it's Gray Television now, um, who are with Channel Three, and just potentially uh, increasing rapidly, increasing your your local audience there. um, Mm -hmm. In doing so, Uh, and it's kind of interesting because in the typical off season, really when we talk about like the sort of stuff that you as broadcasters can analyze, you're just sort of talking about the roster changes themselves. Um, It's not typical necessarily that we get these types of broadcast changes. So really, what what was your initial reaction, I suppose, when you heard about that change that you guys were moving to to Channel 3 this year? And um, I guess, is it a sign also of sort of a, a first domino falling in the industry in general? Is this something that you think other teams are going to replicate now?
4: Oh, absolutely. I think Matt Ishbia kicked the door down and you're already starting to see some teams go to over the air television and it just it makes so much sense. It's just increases the scope of your audience, the amount of fans, the merchandise, you know, and obviously the the thrill of purchasing tickets to go to the games after watching them on TV. It's just, uh, it's going to have a massive effect. But for us, I mean, we kind of heard whispers about it maybe a year or so ago. And, you know, everybody knew that um, Bally's and their parent company were having some troubles. So the fact that they actually finalized the deal and, you know, again, the amount of people reaching out, To me, friends, family, again, of course, I also get the text messages. Are you going to keep your job? Are you still going to be there? I'm (laughs) like, I hope so. I mean, I haven't heard anything different. But, you know, the Suns, as part of their broadcast agreements and contracts, uh, always maintain control over the broadcasters. So Mm -hmm. we felt Pretty strong that we would still be kept around, but you know, at the same time, you don't know, and uh, it's just it's, it's fun to be looking ahead to the season again with EJ and TC and Ann Myers Drysdale and Kay Ray and Sophie Cunningham. I mean, we have such a a fun group of uh, professionals that all get along well together in our production crew. If if you're gonna increase your audience to 3 million people you want experience behind the wheel. And that certainly is what we have with Dan Siegman and Bob Adlock and all of our producers, Mark Goldberg and Ryan Baffalucas, Brock Kraft. I'm going to go through the whole list if you guys give me enough time, because they're the ones that <laughs> nobody hears about or talks yeah. about. And they're the ones that put it all together. So, uh, but again, for me to have Tom Chambers along, you're like, okay, you know, that's, it's, I think, uh, been kind of my... Uh, like I said, a dream job and then to to be able to form the kind of friendship and the chemistry that we have. I mean, I sure hope we can keep rolling with it.
1: You know, recently on an episode, Sam and I were talking about the Ring of Honor, which we'll get to Amari and Marion as well. But one of the conversations that we had was Devin Booker and where he stands on the greatest sons of all time uh, list. And I'm curious, you know, you Doing research for this episode, Tom, I, I, I was looking up information on you and I found a clip of the halftime show from 1996 that you were hosting and you were throwing to clips of Michael Jordan talking and Charles Barkley talking in these clips. And I'm just thinking about the perspective that you have on all these players, all of these opportunities to see these legends over the last 30 years up close what how does devin booker compare to a lot of those players in your mind and where and what would it take for him to be considered the greatest suns player of all time in your opinion wow i mean it's that's such a difficult question
4: for me cuz i go back to the days of being a ball boy and you know idolizing alvin adams and right. wow. and walter yeah. davis and and then getting to know all those guys personally so i'm not that unbiased um when it comes of to course trying to make a decision like that. But when all is said and done, Book's going to be number one. I mean, he's going to own every record that the Suns have. Um, He's helped lead them to the finals. And, you know, I don't think his value is going to be diminished by the fact that he has KD and Bradley Beal. I mean, people hopefully will step back and go, those guys only came here because of Book. And you guys know as well as anybody, there was was a time here for that 10-year span that we didn't think we could recruit anybody, any free agent to come to Phoenix. So I think more so his loyalty to me stands out, number one. His numbers are obviously glaring. Everybody sees that. But his loyalty, his patronage to this Phoenix community and to this team, this organization, and talk about me going through different owners, he's gone through different owners as well. Um, It's just unprecedented. It's unprecedented in today's professional sports world no matter what sport, I mean, football, baseball, basketball, nobody's sticking with their team. Booker has. And I think that's going to end up being, you know, the final analysis with Devin Booker aside from what he did on the basketball court, but what he's meant to this community. Um, Like I said, Walter Davis would have been my choice for a long time. And not just because he was a leading scorer, but because again, he meant so much to this organization led to the playoffs year after year. And then, You have to talk about Nash and Barkley. How can you not discuss the guys that have won MVP? So, you know, it'd be great to see Book, you know, get some sort of um, nod in MVP balloting. But the fact that he was first team all NBA, to me, that was like that was a big piece to the puzzle. Uh, Because I think you have Steve Nash and Jason Kidd are the only two Suns players that are three time first team all NBA. So you're talking about three different seasons, your top five player in the league. So, uh, you know, I'd love to see Book get another one or two of those and be up there in MVP balloting. But it's going to be tough again with Beal and Durant by his side. The Suns could win 67 games and they're going to go, well, you know what? Jokic is still the you take Jokic off that team and or whoever it might be. It's
2: the most frustrating part of MVP narrative voting in the NBA right now is that it feels increasingly like the guy who puts up otherworldly stats on a sixth seed gets rewarded.
4: Mm -hmm. Uh, more often than not. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like Barkley. You know, Barkley comes to the Suns. He's new. He's fresh. You know, the Suns are all the rage in the NBA. And so he wins MVP Um, and deservedly so. But, you know, Booker's now been with the Suns and now they're going to say, yes, he's saddled up with a couple other superstars. So I don't think MVP is going to probably be a realistic possibility for him, but I don't think he needs that to be deemed the greatest son of all time. Like you said, he's going to have every single, I'm assuming
2: he stays, you know, through this mm-hmm. current extension of his, which is only kicking in now. Um, he'll have every single record. He'll have the scoring record in a couple of seasons. It'll take him a little while to catch up to uh, Walter Davis, mm-hmm. um, who's the the record holder, but he's already making great progress there. He passed, um, speaking of which, he passed both Amari and Marion recently on the Suns all-time scoring list. And so I wanted to ask you uh, about those two guys. Because I imagine uh, you have a bit of, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I imagine you have a bit of a special relationship with that particular era of Suns basketball, just because those were the years where you were most frequently in the play-by-play role, traveling with the team mm-hmm. on the road, um, lots of chartered planes and and, and whatnot. Uh, for me personally, I know Mike and I were talking about this last week when the news was announced. I, I love the fact that it's announced that Amari and Marion are going into the Ring of Honor. I had started to lose a little bit of hope that it would happen. Um, and so just curious to get your reaction, first of all, when you heard that, uh, again, I don't know if this was something where there were also some whispers for the past year or, or if it was more of a surprise to you in in, in getting your reaction that those two guys are going to be immortalized for what they did uh, as yeah. as members yeah. of the organization.
4: You know, the debate was who's going to go in first, and I love how they removed that debate by putting them right. both in this season because, like, all right, who are you going to choose, Sean Marion or Amari Stoudemire? It's like, oh, you know, that, that's a difficult debate. But, you know, in terms of longevity and numbers, Sean was definitely going to be the first guy in my estimation. But Amari certainly deserved it as well. I mean, he just, he just brought that badass attitude. You know, when you walk onto the floor and you look around – Um, as one of the starters That the other four guys that you walk out there with and you look at Amari, it just pumps you up with confidence, um, knowing that you're going to have a guy out there that's going to, you know, be an intimidating presence. And, you know, he played hard and, you know, he had his critics as well. But, I mean, it was just such a wonderful era. And like I said, for me to be traveling with that team, to be on the charter planes and buses and, I mean, the stories and the memories that I have of being around those guys and, you know, Steve Nash, obviously kind of the cornerstone of all that. And one time we were in Minnesota and it was after a game against the Timberwolves. And this was typical Steve Nash too. He just like yelled up to the bus driver, stop the bus. We're all going to dinner. And everybody just got up out of the bus, like freezing in downtown Minneapolis and guys jumped off the bus and Sean and Amari and Steve and all the guys. So, you know, the leadership and that Steve had, and then you know, obviously the contributions. And I think about Sean Marion and the the playoff series against Dallas when he locked up Dirk Nowitzki, and you know the great performances he had there. And Amari, I mean, obviously my first thought is um, poor Anthony Tolliver, uh, but yeah. I think, oh. you know, and all the great you know dunks that he had. That just speaking of,
2: of which, does it feel good to know that you will always have that iconic call? You it's have so good. You claim the most iconic call of Amari's career on any highlight reel. That's going
4: to be the first clip that plays. Does that it's, feel good? Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Actually, what's really cool is my kids send it to me. They're like, Dad, we heard your voice again on Twitter or something. And they'll send <laughs> it to me. So uh, that's the best part. When your kids enjoy it and your kids are proud, um, that makes Dad proud. So that was just, it was a, a very a golden moment. Uh, I was fortunate that you could kind of see it coming. And I remember sitting right next to Scott Williams, and Scott stood up, and uh, we just went nuts. But the best part was after that dunk, uh, Golden State calls a timeout, and they replayed it in Oakland over (laughs) and over again during the timeout. And their crowd, the Warrior fans, were going nuts. I mean, you don't see that. Usually the home team's like, okay, now let's uh, cut to some emotional (laughs) message on the big screen. So that was fantastic. The fact, I mean, that's what was beautiful about the place and the moment, too, is that the Golden State fans have always been so passionate. And uh, to kind of carry that moment through the timeout was something special.
1: I was thinking about that. I mean, obviously, that dunk in particular is really never far from my thoughts, to be honest. Uh, But in this last few weeks, there are a lot of fans looking up Amari Steinmeier Stoudemire and, and Sean Marion highlights And some of them, for the first time, you know, they're not, they're younger fans. They didn't really uh, see that firsthand the way that, you know, Sam and I did. And of course, you sit in courtside for those highlights. And that one in particular always stands out. You know what I love about that particular call? Uh, Obviously, you got your catchphrase in there. We talked about that the last time you were here, the elevates and detonates. And then immediately, maybe the top dunk of his career, which I also love, but something about the way you go, hello, right when he slams it <laughs> is just so perfect. And is that, you know, you said you could see it coming a little bit and you could. Steph oh, Curry, yeah, by mean, the way, on the court for that game, uh, very young Steph Curry. Uh, you know, when you something like just shouting hello when it happens, is that something that is premeditated at all? Or is it just all in the moment, whatever happens, you're just going with the flow?
4: yeah that was that was definitely a moment thing plus you know he was racing from mid-court you know full speed and you could just see the momentum carrying and uh hello actually was something when i first started doing play-by-play in college at loyal marymount university um hello was just kind of that was probably my first catchphrase or whatever just kind of used that and it just came out i think from having used it in the past and uh yeah it, it was cool but you know going back to amari too that was obviously the one highlight but man i think about those playoff series when he dominated tim duncan i mean you look back at his playoff numbers against san antonio and yes the team wasn't always successful in winning the series but amari was fantastic he put he put up astounding numbers against tim duncan and that's actually when i think about amari and his impact uh it was it was playoff time against Duncan and San Antonio, we just could never get over the hump. But that, to me, when you shine in the playoffs, like Devin Booker has done. I mean, Devin's played his best basketball in the playoffs. And I feel like for Amari Stoudemire, that was very much the same thing in his career. Uh, We saw some of his best basketball in the postseason. And and Sean Marion, too. I mean, Sean, was. there were times I even need to go back, as you guys said, go back and watch the highlights or look at the numbers. He had so many – 30, 20 games or 30, 15 games. And you forget what a potent scorer he was. And as you guys have pointed out and other people know, I mean, without running a play, it was just grabbing loose rebounds and, you know, scoring in the lane with his little pogo stick jump shot and three pointer. And, you know, that was another thing when Sean and he, not only the ring of honor, but he's got to go into the hall of fame. I mean, it's when he retired his probability Percentage was 94 percent, and for some reason, it's dropped to seventy-five percent. As if people are forgetting, you know, what he did. But I think it's it's LeBron, Dirk, and Sean Marion the only three players to have scored seventeen thousand points, amassed ten thousand rebounds, have a thousand blocks, and seven hundred or more three pointers. And then if you add on steals, I mean, Sean was I think just under two thousand career steals. So it would just be him and LeBron with probably just teams. him and LeBron, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dirk was not a, a master of yeah. <laughs> the steal yeah. for the master LeBron, of defense, yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. That's that's incredible. I mean, I, I just again with Amari, like thinking about you were talking about those series he had with Duncan and the the numbers he was putting up over thirty points per game in those series, and yeah, even though the Suns weren't always successful, like the fact that at the age of maybe. His early 20s up through his mid 20s, Amari was in this conversation with three power forwards who were legitimate MVP candidates year in year out, and Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and Dirk Nowitzki, and he was in that conversation. He was right there. Mm -hmm. Um, really, just really, just remarkable. The other thing, last thing I'll say about that highlight, and then we'll leave the Tolliver dunk alone for good, (laughs) but.
4: Last oh, no, love. you don't have to. No, no, no. Keep it alive.
2: The last thing I love about that clip is just at the very end when you're like, that was savage. You were like five years ahead of anyone else on using the word savage. That's like an adjective like that. Because you know what? Became, I think if I
4: use that term now, I'd be in a lot of trouble.
2: You, you think? You it, just it, never it beca-
4: know. I mean, seriously, like yeah. terms and Oh, no, and you'd, you'd be fine. And... It became more of a slang thing, I
2: think, after. Yeah. Uh, but, but you were... Was- you were at, ahead of your era there. Was yeah. Good. I
4: stole that one from my brother, Peter. My brother, Peter played rugby and, um, he just, he traveled around the world and he was the one that always used the word savage. Ooh, that's that's a savage song. So <laughs> I definitely have to give him credit for that. I don't even, I mean, that just kind of came out of nowhere. And, and I'm like, Oh, that's for you, Pete.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that you talked about how Sean Marion is still underappreciated and you know, the the ring of honor is one thing and but i agree i think that the hall of fame is the next step and i'm curious to see if they will end up uh uh doing that but you know thinking back to just your career as a, a you know broadcaster and doing all that you have done for such a long time i'm curious i, I it's changed <laughs> you know the entirety of what you've done and the job that you have done over the course of the time that you've done it it's changed so dramatically um, and I'm curious what your perspective is on the biggest changes in what your job is over the time that you've done it, uh, you know, whether that be of the day to day operations of it or how people perceive it or the impact that it's had um, on the community, because it's it's been, a, it's been a long time for you. And I'm curious what you think is the biggest change.
4: Well, the biggest change is when I was first hired, I was the only guy out there. It was me and a camera. And I remember pitching it to Al McCoy and Greg Schulte or, you know, Al McCoy and Eddie over the years. And I was just in studio by myself. I remember one of the first shows, too. I tried to make some sort of like a lighthearted comment to Al. I think he was in Los Angeles at the time. They're in a monitor. It's him and Greg Schulte. And it was kind of one of those, you know, lighthearted comments. Ha, ha, ha. And then just dead air. I'm like, oh, my God, this is brutal. And so I look back on that going, "I, I guess I survived somehow but i appreciate it so much more because now working with tc and having that back and forth and the banter and it just it's to me a lot more enjoyable for me to look back on shows with tc than to cringe and look at some of those uh early days but we did a lot more features back then too so that's what's probably changed the most we had a lot more access with the players uh back then we did sons undercover with the hidden cameras and sean marion on a pedal cab and Rex Chapman, uh, (laughs) Chappy, the street musician outside of bank one ballpark. That was hilarious. Tom Gugliotta at a car wash. I mean, we did so many fun things with the players and that was, that's probably what I miss the most, you know, now they don't need us as much as they used to, or like enjoy like, Hey, we're going to do a feature on you. Great. Now they're like, nah, I got my own YouTube channel. I don't need you kind of a thing. You know, it's just, that's what's changed a lot. So in terms of creative output, and features and behind the scenes, you know, that's still there, but it's not as personal as it used to be. And the relationships Mm -hmm. with players um, are not what they used to be. It's still good, but it's just not like, and again, a lot of it too was when I was doing play by play and traveling and getting to know them on a more personal basis. Now it's just pretty much professional and there are a lot more guidelines these days and restrictions. And, you know, there was no social media, you know, one wrong comment, like I said, uh, one misdeed whatever it's going to be broadcast all over the world so i think everybody is a little bit more wary and cautious um so that's i miss those days of just being able to kind of hang with the guys and they would pretty much do you know whatever we wanted to do in terms of creative features for the shows. And I I think that's what really gave it its personality when we were son's game time and, uh, kind of gave us our brand. And that's something that I hope we can go back to now that we're on over the air television, bring back some of those features. I've talked to the producers about that. We did a thing with Eddie Johnson order on the court and we actually went to a courtroom and he put on a judge's robe (laughs) and I think a wig or something for the open to it. So those were, you know, fun times. And I think fans would appreciate maybe some of those little flashback vignettes.
2: But fans that will that definitely good. appreciate those. And and I will say there have to be players still who there are players who want to have fun. Um So, you know, it must be possible to find them. It's just, I will agree with you. It's got to be harder, especially when some of these guys come out of their big college programs being so well media trained. You see a lot with the guys who go to the Dukes or Kentucky's or UNC's or even you know Villanovas, whatever. They go to those programs. And by the time they're in the NBA, they're already they've kind of been pumped through the machine, so to speak. Like they're used to all of the big interviews and they're used to the the big stages. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, they're just a little bit more wary of of those types of um
4: opportunities. Yeah, I mean, but they have their own media machines. I mean, like Kevin Durant's right. got his own podcast. I mean, they yeah. again, they don't they don't need us uh, to kind of relay their message or depict their personality, show what they're like away from the court. I mean, they're doing it themselves. So that's-
2: I feel like Ish Wainwright would be the type of guy on this team that I think about probably would love having some sort of fun with you guys. I mean, I'm not going to speak for him as if I know him personally, but I'm just <laughs> trying to, you know, brainstorm. Like there are guys who I think their personalities would be conducive to that mm-hmm. who are not Kevin Durant. But you know, Kevin Durant's uh, his own beast. We we know Ke- what Kevin Durant is like. He's all hoop mm-hmm. and he's not really uh,
4: interested in the other stuff. And he's just so really famous too. Time. Yeah. yeah I, well, Chris Paul, I, I mean, we didn't, we yeah. hardly did anything with Chris, but we're like, obviously he likes to have fun. All you have to do is look at his state farm commercials. I'm like, man, I <laughs> wish we could do that with you, but they don't. Yeah. They, they have their own machine behind them and they can control it and controlling the message is everything these days.
1: You know, uh, before we started we were talking about the last time that you joined us and it was uh, i believe august 2019 sam is that the date that you had the- that is the- correct yes four and-
2: years ago the world was a different place the last time tom leander was on the show we were yeah. kind of just getting started too so it's, it's nice of you tom that you even that- said yes yeah, to true. us at that point
1: <laughs> and, you know looking forward though You know, back then we were talking about Kelly Oubre. We were talking about Ricky Rubio and and the season that the Suns were going to have. I mean, little did we know that was the beginning of all of this that we have now. But now looking forward, you have, you know, prime Devin Booker, potential top five, top 10 player in the NBA season coming up, hopefully. Kevin Durant, one of the top 10 greatest players of all time on the Suns, and then another all-star in Bradley Beal who I think surprised just about anyone that he's even on the team going forward you're know, looking at this upcoming season you have to think that this is probably some of the highest expectations that the Suns have ever faced what, what what do you think about this upcoming season tom
4: yeah definitely highest expectations since charles arrived but and deservedly so for this team Bradley Beal is one of those players that I don't think I know I haven't appreciated just because you know Washington has not made much noise at all in terms of the playoffs and him playing in prime time. And uh but to to think about the times that we've played, the Suns have played Washington and Beal. Like he's had some battles with Book. There yeah. was, I think, a double or triple overtime game. Like Beale had, I don't know, 40 plus points and triple double. He this this guy is ridiculously talented. And I love how he attacks the basket. Uh, He's like book. I mean, they're, they're almost in my estimation, mirror images in certain respects in how they score the basketball, Uh, whether it be off the dribble, mid range, attacking the basket. They just have so much confidence and they're both really good playmakers. I, I, my prediction was that book was going to be more of the, the point guard and running the offense because we saw what he did, especially with Chris Paul out last season. I mean, he was good for eight to 10 assists every night. Um, but I, I love the fact that they're all going to be able to move it around. Um, different people going to bring the ball up the court. We saw that with Denver. I mean, Aaron Gordon brought it up. Jokic brought it up. Contavious Caldwell-Pope brought it up. The Browns brought it up. You just, it was somebody different all the time. And so that way you can't focus on, like when we just had Chris Paul bringing it up, and they would ambush him at half court. Um, I mean, the weapons, and I know Vogel really wants to pick up the pace, and that's music to all of our ears and the changes that they've made uh, off the bench. Um, and I love the fact that we kept Damian Lee and Josh Akogi as well. I mean, I think those guys are um, obviously going to be you know, important at, at some point. James Jones has always said this. Like the guys that he's brought in, whether it's Utah or Metu and some of the new players, and um, I really like Eubanks. I think Eubanks, and I was a big jock fan. I love Landale, but I'm telling you, Eubanks has more skill and he's a better shot blocker. And each Way of these better, guys, yeah. and James has said this, you know, they're all gonna win the Suns a game at some point during the season. Um, so the the fact that the bench is deeper, uh, more three point shooters, and now I mean the last guy that they added, Eric Gordon, and what he's doing the Bahamas and closing <laughs> out that game with a couple of threes late and scoring 27 points and beating Argentina twice and And more than anything, you know, we haven't even talked about DeAndre Ayton, but my highlight of this summer in terms of watching any of our players on the court, I mean, we've seen a lot of the workouts with Book and KD. And my highlight was, and you guys probably saw this, it was a clip earlier in that tournament with DeAndre Ayton who sprinted down the court faster than I've ever seen him run. It was like Usain Bolt. I don't know if you guys saw it. He went from yeah. rim to rim, and I've just never seen that from him. I mean, if this is going to be an indication of what we're going to see from DeAndre Ayton, then everybody should be really, really yeah.
1: excited. He looks
4: lean. He, he looks, looks lean. lean. Yeah, well, it's never. It's tournament. not like he's never been fat. I mean, no, guy, no, guy, no, 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 he's no. Never had body fat. I mean, yeah. yeah I think no. again, everybody you know talks about you know the minutes played too what i think he played 38 minutes in their last game 38 right, yeah minutes. he
2: had he had to because bahamas mm-hmm. they're a good team but they don't have the depth on the
4: second <laughs> night of a
1: back to back too by the
4: exactly. way exactly yeah. i mean that just shows you he's in great shape and we all know the interview that happened earlier in the summer and it feels like the world is against him and maybe that's going to be a good thing for da i mean i hope he finds peace and happiness in his life it he, he definitely seems disturbed at the perception around the league around the world. I'm not sure. I mean, it just it felt very heavy in hearing him say that. Um, but then you watch him on the court, and you're like, okay, if that's gonna light a fire, then I so hope be. so.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, so. he
2: he looks lean, but the other thing is he looks vocal in these clips that are being shared too. Um, and and I think that's really the thing. When you feel the way that he said he was feeling earlier in the summer, it's it's kind of easy to shrink into yourself and not necessarily embrace that vocal attitude. The fact that he was doing it so much over the past couple of weeks. Also got to build that chemistry with his teammate now and Eric Gordon. Um, yeah, I I feel really good about where he is uh, potentially heading into the season. Not so much like I don't I don't know how much we're gonna see out of him in terms of like his offense. Uh, changing or, or what his offensive role, you know, his offensive role doesn't need to be enormous for this team to succeed. But if he can be vocal, if he can be a defensive leader, if he can be an enforcer, rebounds. obviously those are rebounds. I think. Yeah, in like last 21 in, in, yeah, okay. in the other game. So if he can embrace those roles, then um, we're all set. I, I want to get a little bit more of your perspective, though, on how you view, because we've had so much time to stew on the Bradley Beal acquisition now, Mike and I, and we've talked about it a bunch of times. But what you view his role uh, night in and night out really being. Because I think for Mike and I, the thing that's frustrated us is the, the lazy analysis of, well, there's only one ball that some people will kind of mm. go towards. Like if they don't see a natural Chris Paul type playmaker on a team, but they'll see three guys with the talent level, the shot creation ability of a Booker, Beal, and Durant, they'll just sort of naturally trend towards this analysis of, oh, there's only one ball, so it's going to be an issue. I'm of the mind, obviously, that you can never have too much shot creation of their caliber, so long as each guy is an unselfish playmaker, and I think we're going to see that between the three of these, uh, the three of these guys.
4: But but how do you view it, and and where do you think Beale's really going to fit? Well, I think you just nailed it. I mean, I feel like when you talk about Book, KD, and Beal, they are all made out of the same cloth. They want to win. And you're dealing with so many egos and different personalities around the league. I mean, my goodness, I could start with James Harden and keep going on from there. But when you look at the three guys that the Suns have, neither one of those – not one of those three guys are going to be upset if the ball doesn't touch their hand in a certain possession and the Suns get a good look. I mean, they don't even need to make the shot. These guys are all about winning, and they're all about winning basketball. Like, uh, the style, the culture – Um, you know, that's why they're together. And, you know, sometimes when you look at a pairing or a trio, you're like, oh man, that's going to be tough. But you think about like Chris Bosh with Miami too, and what, how he sacrificed. Um, and there's always going to have to be somebody that's going to sacrifice on a possession in a game. But Bradley Beal to me, after what he's gone through in Washington, if the Suns beat Utah on a Wednesday night and he scores eight points, he's going to be thrilled. You know, after what he's been through and what the goal is for those three players. So that's the least of my worries. I just think that all three of them are just built the same way from a, a mental standpoint. I mean, certainly from a confidence and skill level, but from where they are when it comes to winning basketball games, winning a championship and doing it the right way um God, we've seen book do it his whole career i mean he'll go for 50 and then he's fine if he scores 14 or if he has an off shooting night that's the other thing i mean and and now you know in this day and age of guys uh you know managing their minutes and load management you can give booker a day off and you still have katie and beal out there you can give beal the day off and you still have katie and book you know it, what options that frank vocal has and it's you know it's it's such a a long season and you know just just pray i pray that you know there's no injuries no catastrophic injuries for any of the three because if those three stay healthy with the makings of this bench and the culture and i'm just you know i was not i have to admit i'm i didn't know enough about frank vogel the person i mean i knew a little bit about him as a coach but everything i'm hearing is just he's incredibly grounded down to earth positive, upbeat. And I think he's going to be just the perfect head coach for this team. And uh, again, just barring any sort of a, a major injury to one of those three players. I mean, yeah, this is about as excited as I've been.
1: And it's just so important that Devin Booker as the sort of incumbent star, the leader of this team, if you will, he just embodies what you're talking about with the ability to sacrifice and you know the desire to win and i think about a specific moment from last season i think about it often when the suns were playing the minnesota timberwolves and devin booker passed and, and assisted a shot and the Suns scored and he turned and he talked trash to the minnesota timberwolves bench and got a tech and then somebody tweeted out what he said and the trash that he said the trash talk that he said to the minnesota timberwolves bench was we play team basketball we share the ball <laughs> <laughs> And he got a tech for it and just the importance of your star player embodying mm-hmm. that to the point of talking trash to a team that maybe didn't, at least at that time. But, Tom, uh, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'll I'll let you go here. But uh, with your time on the Suns, you know, we have a lot of new Suns fans, I think. And then I think even more probably over the course of the next season will join now, I don't even want to call it a bandwagon I think there's a negative connotation to that you know it's okay to join the team when they're when they're good, when they're fun. but you know looking back at suns history, if you could tell a new suns fan to look up highlights of any former player that maybe is a little underrated or under talked about, When it comes to, like, obviously we know who Charles Barkley, Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire are. Everyone knows to look up those highlights. But, you know, with your time around the Suns, who's a player that comes to mind that you would want a new Suns fan to look up highlights of to see who they were for the Suns? Paul Westfall. That's awesome.
4: Yeah, it's not even not even close. I mean, Walter, obviously, but. Paul Westfall was crazy athletic, and uh, I actually produced a documentary on the Cinderella Suns, the 76 team that went to the finals, and I saw clips that I'd never seen before, and one of them was dunking on Tom Burleson, who was like a seven-foot-three center. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that and his spinning turnarounds, I mean, he was the guy that me and a bunch of my friends emulated uh, growing up, kind of that spinning fadeaway, the left-handed shots. I mean, he was ambidextrous. Um, oh my God, I love Paul Westfall and I miss him so much. And that's probably one of my most cherished memories is getting to know him, um, after his playing career, when he became a coach in the league, the Suns' head coach. And even when he was in Sacramento, when he was the King's head coach, I would go into their locker room because he had great success against the Suns when he was coaching DeMarcus cousins in the Sacramento Kings. I think he won like 90% of his games against the Suns, And I'd poke my head into the visitor's locker room mm-hmm. and go "Westy." You know, I don't want the Suns ever to lose, but if they are going to lose, I'm glad they lost to you. And so over the years, we just had this great friendship. But in terms of just on the court and yeah, fans appreciating Westy and you know, another guy who was multiple time uh, first team All NBA. And to go into the Hall of Fame was, ah, it was so perfect. I was lucky enough to be in Springfield uh, for that ceremony. But uh, yeah, Westy, Westy's my guy.
1: I expect everyone to be Googling him and watching the highlights. If you've never seen them, I know I'm going to do that. Uh, Tom, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. It's always great uh, to talk to you. I know everyone knows where to watch you this season. It'll be on a new channel, of course. uh, But watch the pregame show. Watch the halftime show. Watch the postgame show. If you're calling the game, obviously everyone's going to watch the game. But if you're calling the game, I always look forward to those occasional times that you call the game's during the year, Tom. But is there anything else that you want to tell people to, to check out before we let you go here? No, other than then, the fact that we're going to be doing all the preseason games.
4: So that's something that we haven't done in a long time. Sometimes we do one uh, for charity or something. But no, we're going to be on the air for preseason game number one, and we won't be off the air until, you know, after the first round of the playoffs in terms of local TV. But uh, So I'm really jazzed for that and training camp coming up. But to, to be able to do some of those preseason games and the first one, Against the Detroit Pistons and Monty Williams, will <laughs> I was
2: about to
1: say a and, funny and, and, choice there for the first right? preseason. Right, I know for like a meaningless
4: preseason game. The first preseason game is not as meaningless as it might have been.
1: <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tom. You're always great.
4: Now, Mike and Sam, you guys do a great job. Thanks for having me.